Welcome, everybody. Great to see you here today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks as we continue our series, um, our journey rather, through 1 Corinthians. Today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. Let me review real quickly where we have been. The Apostle Paul started a church in Corinth, which is in the current southern part of Greece today. When he started this church, this church was birthed in the middle of a culture that was thriving, pagan. You know, the Greeks, they loved their Greek gods and goddesses, Olympus and Zeus and Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. In Corinth, there was this massive structure, this massive mountain that came up out of the ground over 1,800 feet straight up, which made it a strategic, defensible location. But on top of this Acrocorinth, they had built a huge temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. And the Caesars, notable people from all over the region, merchants would come to Corinth to trade their wares and to worship Aphrodite. The way they did that was by having sex with one of the temple prostitutes. So this was normal in their culture. Prostitution was through all through culture. And even the church engaged with these prostitutes and instead of being um, harsh with this and, and saying, condemning it, they would affirm it and they would tolerate, they would engage in it. This is the situation that Paul finds himself writing to this church in this situation three years after he plants the church. He's now in Ephesus. And um, you got to remember this, that the reason Paul writes this letter is to be corrective. It is a corrective letter. He is correcting issues, problems, explaining things to this church that's struggling. And so what we're doing is we're breaking this book up, 16 chapters long, this letter, into different little mini-series to kind of help understand and get context for what's going on in the church and what problems he's addressing. So we started this all out by talking about unity. That was last month. This month, we're talking about relationships. And we're saying it's complicated. How many know relationships can be complicated? And um, what we, uh, let me just real quickly kind of run down the situation in Corinth. Let's scroll this out here. As you have already said, there was widespread sexual immorality in the church. So that's going on while Paul's writing this letter. Secondly, many in the church viewed the physical body as unimportant. It's going to burn up anyway. It's just sex. It's not a big deal. And that's why we looked at it last week. Paul said, listen, it is a big deal. The body's important. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've got to honor God with your bod, right? That's what was last week. And in addition to that, and here's a new piece of information, verse 26 of chapter 7 says this, that Paul was writing because of the present crisis. There was a crisis going on in this region during uh, that really made Paul want to write a little more uh, intensely and directly. It's why I think he writes so strongly about being single. Just FYI. Next week, we're going to be talking about, we're still going to be in 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to be talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It's going to be very helpful, I believe, and informative, so that's next week. Then in two weeks, we're going to give you some thoughts on the single life. So for our singles... Two weeks, we're going to be addressing that, and it's all out of 1 Corinthians 7. Today, though, we're going to focus on marriage. 
in particular, sex in marriage. Now, the crisis in Corinth, we're not sure. It's one of two things most likely. Number one, persecution. Because wherever the church was born, there was often persecution. And so some people think that the crisis that Paul's writing about is, is this persecution coming against the church. Some historians have noted, though, at the same time, about the same time of Paul's writing, that there was a food shortage. So it might have been a famine in the land that was causing um, this, this crisis. So we're not sure. It's one of the two things, persecution, food shortage, maybe both, but there's a crisis. And what's happened is there, Paul has gotten two sources of information to make him want to sit down and write this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first source was an eyewitness report. Somebody from the house church in Corinth, in Chloe's house church, Chloe must have had a big house, and one of the members of that house church makes their way all the way to Ephesus, finds Paul, and gives him an eyewitness report of what's going on in the church. Paul, there's fighting, there's division, the Christians, they're suing each other, they're doing this before judges that, that don't even believe, and so he's, or he or she is communicating to Paul the problems in the church. Now, I think probably this member, this eyewitness, brought with them a letter. And the church had written out several questions for Paul. So when you look at the letter of 1 Corinthians, the first six chapters, he is addressing the issues that he heard about from the eyewitness report. From chapter 7 on, he is addressing issues that the church and questions the church had that they had written in the letter form. And you're going to see that here in 1 Corinthians 7, 1. There's a transition from, okay, now I'm no longer addressing the problems from the eyewitness report. I'm now addressing the issues that are being brought up in the letter. And so here's what's on the church's mind. The, the number one question the church has is regarding relationships, it's regarding sex, and it's regarding virgins. So the first question we're going to see here in one is about sex. And in chapter 20, uh, verse 25, rather, it's about virgins. So this is what's on the church's mind. These are the biggest problems they're facing. This is what's on their mind. And so prostitution, again, is a big thing in this community. I think if Paul were addressing this letter to the American church, it wouldn't be regarding prostitution, unless you're in Vegas. It would probably be regarding pornography, because so many people are struggling with pornography. Regardless... The eyewitness report, the letter, the Holy Spirit prompts Paul's heart. He sits down, and under the inspiration of the Spirit, he addresses these issues with his letter. Now, we're going to look at the first nine verses, as I said, of chapter 7, and let me just kind of break it down this way. In verse 1, we see the question. In verse 2, the problem. In verses 3 to 9, the solution. So let's jump right in. Are you ready? I just had to give you some context before we jump into the text. Now, for the matters you wrote about, see the transition from the eyewitness report to the letter and the questions the church has. Now, for the matters you wrote about, and the first thing that was on your mind was this, and he's quoting this. This is not Paul saying this. He's quoting what they're saying. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's not Paul saying that. That's the church asking, listen, should we, since there's so many problems sexually, should we just nix this sex thing altogether after all the Lord's coming soon? And should we just say, you know what? No sex. That's what they're saying. Now, most of us would say that's a horrible notion. <laughs> um, 
But here's, here's what's happened, and it, it still happens today. We actually took a look at this in Colossians, the second chapter. It's this idea of asceticism. Asceticism. Here's what asceticism is. It's severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, all forms of physical pleasure, typically for religious reasons. And churches and Christians have practiced asceticism really since the beginning of time. Let me give you a couple examples from when I grew up. When I grew up, uh, in the particular denomination we were, there's a couple taboos. And because there were problems around these issues, people would just say, just avoid it altogether. I remember as a, as a kid, they were saying, movies are bad, you know? And because movies are bad, and because people indulge in like immorality in movies, and they, you know, there's such things as Fifty Shades of Grey and just, you know, porn and all this stuff, just avoid movies altogether and you'll be holy. Asceticism. See the same thing around alcohol. And the reason goes like this, because so many people struggle with alcohol, because there's so many alcoholics, because there's so much abuse of alcohol, don't touch alcohol at all. And here's what is happening in the church. Because there's so much sexual abuse, there's so much, there's incest going on in this church, we saw from chapter 5, there is um, prostitution that's rampant. There's, there's adultery. All this is going on in the church. Because of these sexual problems, let's just, let's just shut it off. It's that same train of thinking that just says, no. Now, all those things I just talked about, in the wrong context, are bad, right? If, how many know, if you, if you have a problem with lust, don't be go watching 50 Shades, well, nobody should be watching 50 Shades of Grey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> If you have a problem with alcohol, don't touch this stuff. If you have temptations for sexual indulgence outside of marriage um, and you're single, I, don't do it, you know? You shouldn't do it. We're going to get to that. What's the point? The point is this. Just because you see sin and excess in an area does not mean that that thing is bad altogether. If it's bad for you, if it's going to suck you in, yeah, avoid it. But on the other hand, if by avoiding it, you feel the spiritual pride in kind of growing inside of you, and you begin to get judgmental and legalistic, and I mean, that's bad too. Either way, you're dead in the water. But Paul gives us now some clear instruction regarding sexuality in marriage. But here's the problem. In verse 2, we see it. But since sexual immorality is occurring, that's the problem. And we define what that is. It comes from the Greek word pornea. It includes fornication, sex before marriage. It includes adultery, sex with someone other than your spouse. It includes um, pornography. It includes all sexual lust, all, the, all those sins. And here's what he's acknowledging. Okay, this is occurring in your church. This is why you're saying, let's just not engage in sexual relations at all. And now Paul begins with a solution. He says, but listen, that's not the answer. Here's the answer. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So the godly solutions to sexual immorality are not abstinence forever. No, not if you're married. Here's the solutions. Number one, be married and have sex with your spouse 
Or option number two, if you're single, be single and don't have sex. Those are the options. And so Paul is addressing, again, don't forget, he's addressing this issue. Is it better not to have sexual relations with a, with a woman? And Paul's saying, no, you, you guys are going too far. Yes, he's acknowledging there's sexual immorality. There, is, there are problems here, but the, the solution is not complete abstinence unless you're single. Okay, are you tracking with me? And by the way, if you're looking for understanding scripturally about marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is not where you go for like, what's the, what's the biblical model for a marriage? 1 Corinthians 7, again, it's corrective. He's answering these problems and helping them work through it. If you want to just see what is a marriage supposed to look like, look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. It's a picture of, and he likens it to Christ in the church. You know, the husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church and give yourself for her. Be considerate of her, serve her. And women, respect your husbands, right? That's the model. Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a little more, mm, and it might tweak you a little bit here. But remember, it's a corrective letter. He's trying to help the church here. We're going to jump in now to really the heart of the letter, uh, the heart of this instruction anyway, in verses 3 to 5. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Notice the word duty. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other. That means abstain, right? Except, perhaps, by mutual consent. So you've got to agree. If you're not going to, you've got to agree. And only for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let me give you four thoughts about sex and marriage from these verses. The first is this. Have sex with your spouse as it is your marital duty. Let me say it this way. If you are married, sexual abstinence is not appropriate. Now I know, it can be complicated if there's physical problems and stuff. You work through these things. But abstinence for married people is not appropriate. Lisa and I over the years have had many opportunities to sit with couples that are struggling with marital issues. And if you're here today and you're married and you're struggling, trust me, you are not alone. There's probably dozens of couples in our church that are struggling right now. That's just, it's it's life. And marriage has some, some ups and downs in it, so you just weather the storms, right? Well, this couple in particular that we had met with, they were, they were out at odds and uh, they just, they were on a different page. They weren't getting along well. And uh, so they invited Lisa and I to their home. And so we're sitting in their home. And very quickly, it became obvious to us that they, they had a hard time communicating, particularly about intimate issues. They just didn't talk about it. I don't know if it, they were from old school and just, you know, you don't talk about these things. I don't know. It was strange to me. I just remember thinking, how odd is this 
that were like audience to this couple talking about their intimate problems. But nonetheless, it was a big problem. Here was the problem. Uh, the wife had a little bit of a physical thing, and it, it kind of shut her down uh, sexually. And she didn't talk about it with her husband. She just didn't want it. And so he felt like, and they would go months at a time. And in his head, he's all squirrely. He's thinking, what is going on? Does she have a boyfriend? Does she not love me? And he, he actually blurted right out, I just figured you didn't love me anymore. And she starts to cry. And she says, oh, that's not it at all. It's, it's, and she began to talk about what she was feeling and what she was experiencing emotionally. And, but the point is they never talked about it. They just abstained and he's getting crazy in his head and she thinks everything's okay and they're on the verge of divorce. The point is this, was that appropriate to have no discussion about it and nothing going on here? No, I mean, that's why they called us in and we hopefully helped them and I think they're still together today, so that's a good thing. The point is this, that some couples kind of grow apart. And through the years, through whatever uh, issues come up in their life, in their marriage, they end up sleeping in separate bedrooms. They, they're not intimate. It's more like a partnership than a marriage. I'm just saying sexual relations between a husband and a wife should be regular, whatever that means for you as a couple, but it should be a normal part of your relationship and your living. God made you that way. You are to enjoy that intimacy together. And if you're not, you need to figure out why not and fix it. Amen. That was pretty weak, but I'm not going to push it. (laughs) Verse 4, it goes on to say, The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband, in the same way the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. This word yielding is so important. Why? Because sex is for your spouse's enjoyment and benefit. This is the mindset we have in Christianity. In all our relationships, we are here to serve others. We are here for the benefit of others. We think highly of others. Marriage should be two people attempting to outsubmit and outserve each other. I live long enough to see this. A bad marriage every time happens when two people are protecting and demanding their own rights. If that is your mindset, I have my rights, you're protecting and demanding your own rights, you're in for a bumpy ride. I remember in Bible school someone saying this, it's impossible for two Christians who are walking in love to separate. And I believe that. Because when you're walking in love, you're looking out for your mate's interest and not your own. The communication lines are open, But you have this attitude, I am here to serve you. What do you enjoy? What can I do for you? And when you get this love battle going on where we're trying to meet one another's needs, it's going to be sweet. But if we take the defensive posture, you're not meeting my needs. I need this now. I want this now. And we take that attitude, well, good luck. (laughs) So he's saying this, this willful submission to one another is part of a marriage. Yes, it is our duty to be intimate with our spouse. It's our marital duty, but it's for their benefit, for their enjoyment. And when it's reciprocal and it, you know, making love's not just in the bedroom, it starts way before the bedroom. 
And one of the things I've observed, and I, I don't know everyone's home, obviously, I don't know your situation in particular, but for whatever reason, I've seen a lot of guys that are harsh with their wives. They're not considerate. And as a result of that, the, the wife kind of closes up and, you know, protects herself and, and it just, it, it's just not, not good. Guys, just to you, because I'm a guy, I can relate. When's the last time you just did something helpful around the house? You did the laundry or put the dishes in the dishwasher or, you know, brought the laundry up. I just, yesterday I was thinking, okay, I'm busy. I got stuff in my, getting our taxes done, you know. And my wife said, would you take that laundry up for me? And I'm thinking, I'm doing the taxes. <laughs> but here's an opportunity to be considerate. So what did I do? Of course I'll do that. I went down and brought the laundry up and I went down and brought a second load up just to make my flesh burn. (laughs) But these things are helpful. The other day, my wife is in, she's got a little office. She's in her office doing her little work. And and, uh, I shouldn't say little work. She does good work. (laughs) My word. (laughs) Is she in here? It's hot. Is it hot in here? And I heard the, the teapot go off, you know, so I turned the tea off, and there's a mug with a tea bag in it, and it's empty, and I'm thinking, I got to do my taxes. It took me hours to go through this spreadsheet, but then I thought, you know what? I should just get her tea, so I poured her tea, and I know how she likes it. You fill it up hot, and then you got to pour about a third out and add cold water, <laughs> so I do that, and I bring the tea into her. She didn't say much, and just, yeah, I kind of forgot about it that night. Um, we're getting ready for bed, and she says, I know you care about me. How do you know that? You got me tea today. It was a good night, I'm telling you. Right now, it's a good night. <laughs> what? The point is this. What is the point? I forgot. Okay, let me move on. <laughs> All right, verse 5, verse 5. <laughs> verse 5, don't deprive each other. In other words... Don't withhold sex from your spouse. When you're married, I mean, sex is powerful, and you can use it as a weapon. I'm not giving you what you want unless you give me what I want, as a, like a bargaining chip, or as a form of punishment, because you were out, you were home an hour late, and you didn't help me with the kids or whatever, I'm cutting you off. Or You know, you can use it like that, but we're not to do that. Don't withhold sex from your spouse. I want you to think about it. You're married. The only legitimate source of sexual satisfaction you have is your spouse. Not porn, not your secretary, not your coworker. It's your spouse. That's the way God designed it. And when we follow God's rules and God's ways, He blesses it. It should be getting better, not worse, over time. If you're getting worse, you're doing something wrong. And you can correct it. Amen. should become more meaningful. I mean, when I was young, it was all about quantity. I, actually, I just got a check. I can't go there. I'm sorry, Lord. I hate it when that happens. Okay, let me move on. Abstinence may be appropriate for a brief time, but only by mutual consent and for a spiritual purpose. So you shouldn't have these long periods where you're not having sex. You shouldn't just get so busy or ignoring and watching the kids or traveling. 
No, you be intimate. But if you agree, and this, here's the key, it's agree, mutual. If you agree for a time, okay, we're just going to sh- shut it down. I said last service, we're going to cut it off. And Jay said, don't use that word. Okay. <laughs> we're going to shut it down for the purpose of spending more time seeking God, then that's appropriate. But that's the only time. It's mutual. You agree, and it's for a spiritual purpose. That's the only time you're to, like, shut her down. And so, like, this last fast that we had in January, you know, Lisa and I had a discussion. All right, we're fasting. We'll shut her down for a day. (laughs) I move on. A good and godly sex life requires, let me just give you three thoughts. It does require a a desire to obey God's word. God knows best. God created us. God made sex. God made intimacy in marriage. God created marriage. It was his design. He blesses it. And so when we have a desire, you know what? It is a responsibility I have. If I say I do, I'm going to get married. I do have a duty to my spouse. And again, I'm going to try to meet their needs. I'm going to try to bless them. That's my... um, role in the marriage. And that's reciprocal. It goes both ways. But that comes with a desire to obey God's word. Secondly, you've got to keep communication open. Talk about these things. This is not a taboo subject. It should be something that's easy to talk. It's easy to talk. What are we having for dinner? You can talk about your sex life. It's just, it's, it's part of who we are. So have open communication. Unlike that couple I was telling you about that was struggling. They just hadn't for some reason, internalize it. This is normal. We should talk about this. The third thing is this. It really is about serving your spouse, selfless, godly living. I'm going to meet their needs. Hun, what do you enjoy? How can I meet your needs? And if we both have that attitude, it's going to be blessed. All right. Let me finish up here, verses six to nine. Um, and he goes on now to talk a little bit and understand this, that Paul thought the Lord was coming back very quickly in his lifetime. I'm glad he didn't, because if he did, the Lord came back then, none of us would be here, right? God is very patient, waiting for the last person to, to be born in this earth before his return, and only God knows when that is. And, but he says that, I, listen, I'm talking to you, I'm saying this as a concession. It's not a command here. What is the concession, not a command? Verse 7, I wish that all of you were, were rather, as I am. What does he mean by that? He's single. Paul is a single man. Now, to the unmarried, well, no, let me just say this. Regarding Paul's singleness, there's some debate among scholars. They believe Paul was probably married at one time. And the reason is, is because he was a Pharisee. By his own admission, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And Pharisees were known to be upstanding citizens, religious um, scholars, married men, and perhaps... Paul was married, and we don't know what happened to his wife. Some speculate that she died and he was a widower. Others speculate that when he became a Christian, wrote to Damascus, she left him. Again, it's speculation. We don't know for sure. It's one, one of the three options. Either he was never married, or he was widowed, a widower, or she left him. It's one of those three. Um, but we don't know. But, he's, but presently, when he writes his letters, he's single. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. 
We all have gifts from God. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. One has this gift and another that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves. And notice this is a concession. This is not a command. He's saying, I think it's a good idea if you're single like me. But if you cannot control yourself, you should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul's not against marriage. But Paul, in his current single state, wants people to have wholehearted commitment to Christ, and therefore he's making a case for the single life. Let me offer a few thoughts on the single life, knowing that in a couple weeks we're going to address singles in particular. Verse 7, he said this, One has this gift from the Lord, one has another. Singleness is a spiritual gift for some. It's a gift from God for some. But on the other hand, marriage is a gift for some. Singleness and marriage, they're both gifts. You just got to figure out which gift you have at this season of your life. Which gift do you have? And let me just tell you, if you are married, you don't have the single gift. Just so you're, you know, okay? If you're not married, you might, but you might not. Let me give you a couple ideas and thoughts about this. And again, in two weeks, we're going to discover, uh, talk about this more. But if you really do long to be married and you're single, I mean, you think about it every day, you kind of like you're lonely, you, um, you're burning with <laughs> passion, you, if that's you, then you probably should be married. And so what I would say is serve God, live a pure life before Him, and be looking for that mate, praying for that mate. But remember that um, singleness goes along with celibacy in Christendom. So if you're single, you need to be celibate until you're married. And then when you're married, the days of celibacy are behind you. Amen? I have noticed over the years that with some singles, that there's like this discontentment. It's, it's almost like the only goal in life is to get married. And when you live that way, I think you're missing something, singles. Um, my mother has been married and single, and I honestly believe she's more effective for the Lord, and she enjoys her life much more as a single person than when she was married. Um, my mother is, when I look at a single person who is committed to the Lord, who is content with life, um, who is ministering for God, I, I think of my mom and I think, she should not get married. I've seen her do it twice. It didn't go well either time. But as a single person, she has, uh, at 70, went and got her doctorate. She is engaged in Christian counseling. She travels. She sees her family. She loves her life single. She's not burning. She is loving it. And if that's you, single, then don't let people look down on you for being single. Enjoy it. Enjoy the autonomy, but still... The key to happy single life is still serving people. It's serving God and serving people. But be content and live pure. That's a con- my concluding thought for singles. Pursue purity and contentment more than you pursue a spouse. Now, some single, you're single and you don't like it. You're struggling with lust. You're burning. I, I understand that. I, I don't have the gift of being single. When I was a young man... 15, 16 years old. 
I had two goals. One, I'm going to finish college. And two, I'm getting married young. And it didn't matter what order that came in. And so Lisa was 19. I was 20 when we got married. I was still in college. And people, my own family, you're too young to get married. You better wait. Get your education. Get a nice little nest egg. Check some things off your bucket list. Then get married. And my dad was pretty hard on me. No, son, finish school first. This is not wise. Do this. But can I tell you, I was a Christian. And I was burning. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. And do you understand? Again, it's between you, the Lord, and whomever you're going to marry. But I'm just going to tell you about a trend that's going on in America. And I think we are hurting our young people. And here's the trend. Get married later in life. Do what you want to up front. That's part of the reason why there's so much sexual immorality. I just read this this week. The average woman in America gets married now at 28. So we're prolonging marriage, but sexual desire is not waning. If anything, it's amped up because of social media and movies. And... So here's what's happening to our young people. They're sexually educated at school in detail, much more than we were at our, when I, my age. When I was coming up, you know, I remember in sixth grade learning about cats. I was so embarrassed. I had to get up and I got kicked out of class for laughing because, you know, it was, oh, you know, oh, that's mild. So here's what's happening. Kids are being educated younger. They're seeing sexual things on, in movies, on their phones, on their Snapchats. You know, it's, it's everywhere in their face. But at the same time, we're telling them, wait, wait to get married. Wait, wait, wait. They're burning. They're hooking up, they're sleeping around, they're hooked on... Why? Because the message isn't clear. Do you understand that for thousands... I'm on a soapbox, aren't I? For thousands of years in human history, people were married in their teen years. That was the pattern for most of history. And then recently, it's like, no, 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 you get everything in order and check it off your body. And I'm just saying, when I see the fruit of that, we got people now, you know, they're in their 30s getting married for the first time. They've hooked up with who knows how many people... They've got all kinds of problems emotionally. I'm just saying, you can avoid some of that, but again, to each his own. I'm off my soapbox now. You can relax. <laughs> Married, back to you. Two weeks, we're going to hit singles. Ask your spouse two questions. Would you do this? I've done it. I'm not doing something that I'm, I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I asked my wife this. Ask your spouse, you know, how do you feel our sex life is going? Just be honest. Have a cup of coffee, a talk, whatever, a walk. But just be open and honest about that. And some of you, this is like, we do this every day. We talk about this all the time. Others of you, you haven't maybe broached the subject in years. But just be honest and talk. Why? Because God wants to bless your intimacy. God wants to bless your relationship. And here's the last thing, and maybe this one's even more important, that first question. Ask your, sp your spouse this. What is one thing I can do to improve our relationship overall. So I was a little nervous. I went to Lisa this week and I said, how's our sex life? All good there. What's the one thing I can do to improve our relationship overall? And here was her response. Just do whatever I say. <laughs> now she wanted me to qualify that. She was only joking. 
I got the message, dear. I got it. Here's the point. Whether you're single or married, God wants to bless you. God before you, who can be against you? God is such a merciful... I was meditating on that this week. God, you are merciful. You are compassionate. You are kind. You are loving. You are gracious. On the other hand, if we rebel against him, it doesn't go well for us. So we should just need to take this posture in our heart that says, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do marriage the way you want me to. I'm going to meet the needs of my spouse. I'm going to enjoy what you've given us. I'm grateful for it. I know you smile on it and you bless it. And live that way. And if you're single, God, I am going to pursue purity. I'm going to pursue you and serving others. And if you have that gift to be single, just enjoy it. If you, if you don't, at least be content and be looking. But be blessed. Amen. So good to serve the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, you are so gracious and kind to us. I think if all of us that are adults here, at least, Lord, we all have skeletons in our closet. We've all stumbled in many ways regarding relationships. It does get complicated. But Lord, I'm so thankful that we can come before you with hearts of honesty and humility and say, God, I want to do it your way. I ask for forgiveness for my past, my sins in the past. But at present, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to do it your way. If I'm married, Lord, I want to meet the needs of my spouse. I know you'll take care of my needs as I do that, Lord. If, if I'm single, Lord, I, I just pray that I would serve you in such a way as to bring honor and glory to you. And if you're longing for that spouse, God, bring my spouse in your timing, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you care so much about our relationships. Life is about relationships. It's about loving you and loving others as we love ourselves, Lord. And I just pray that you'd help us to do it better for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name, amen.